On Friday, October 25th, the movie event of the season begins. It's my favorite time of year. With Sweet Mountain Christmas, starring Megan Hilty. I swear this place still is magical. It's Christmas. It's the season of giving. I always thought I had this dream life, and it took coming home to realize what I was missing. Merry Christmas, Baxter Mountain! Sweet Mountain Christmas kicks off It's a Wonderful Lifetime, Friday, October 25th at 8 on Lifetime. And just like that, we reach the end, and not just the end, but the movie event of the season end. I, that's a pretty grand uh, title to give to a pretty typical Lifetime Christmas movie, but still, uh, it's our finale, so why not claim big things? It's Emily for the, as I said, season finale of Stocking Stuffers. We made it! 13 episodes, almost done. Who knows if we'll actually make it through tonight. Um, so here's what we're going to do today. We are going to obviously talk about Sweet Mountain Christmas, which is the other Tennessee set Christmas movie covered this year that might feature some Dolly Parton. Might actually have more Dolly Parton music than the movie that starred Dolly Parton. It's a mad, 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 mad world. What can I say? Uh, so we're going to talk about Sweet Mountain Christmas. And then, much like we did last year, we are going to continue with a uh, sort of summation of the season. We'll do a uh, best and worst of the ten tropes. And then, of course, our best and worst, or rather our countdown from worst to best of the 13 movies covered this season. Can you believe we made it? I'm saying that as if we've made it, but I'm not done. I have to get through this first. Um, before I dive into that, I do want to say a word about our non-sponsors, the Hallmark Channel. Uh, I talked a little bit about this on Facebook and Twitter, but for those of you who don't pay attention there, um, you're probably very smart not to. But anyway, uh, there was some news. Hallmark found itself in the news in a way that it didn't particularly like to be, or did it? That's a whole thing. Uh, so now, as you might guess based on... Um, time. Uh, these are not always recorded. I've recorded these in sequence, but not like the day I released them. So I had kind of crammed a few in a row, and that included a few Hallmark movies. And as soon as this whole hubbub of Hallmark happened, I kind of had wished I hadn't. So for those of you who don't know, the whole controversy was uh, Zola, which is a wedding registry company has an ad that's a very nice ad that's all about different couples getting married and register for gifts because it's the easy way to do it and within this commercial they include a uh two women getting married you know a lesbian couple which i've seen this commercial for a while now and thought nothing of it uh but it aired on the hallmark network recently now some of you might have paid attention a few weeks ago the ceo of hallmark had been uh interviewed and the question came up of, oh, so is Hallmark ever going to do a gay movie? And his answer was the worst answer. It, I mean, it was a very strategic answer. Uh, his answer was, we haven't ruled it out. You know, we just haven't found the right script. Which, of course, anybody who watches a Hallmark movie knows is bullshit because every script is the same exact thing. There is no reason anyone couldn't have substituted a female for the bland love interest widower. Just make him a widow. Um, really, just, nothing changes, but Hallmark hasn't done it. And it's obviously very strategic because they have a mixed audience and 
you know, when Candace Cameron Bure is your headliner, you can probably safely assume a lot of the people who watch your network and spend money on your product might be conservative. So even after I saw that interview, I wondered if that was very deliberate on Hallmark's part to sort of test the waters and throw that comment out to see what kind of reception they'd get. And then, you know, a few weeks later, they allow, because they know what they're doing when they choose who's going to sponsor and who's not going to, uh, they allow an ad that is obviously might cause a bit of a stir. And it does with a stupid, bigoted group. I believe they're called a million moms or a million monsters or a million cunt faces, whatever you want, uh, who immediately petitioned to boycott Hallmark, blah, blah. And Hallmark pulls the ad, which, of course, is then the other side says, what the fuck, Hallmark? Okay, we see where you stand. Um, meanwhile, Disney's Freeform, I think, released a statement saying hey, we'll happily air the Zola ad. Okay, what would have been a better statement would have been, hey, yeah, we're going to make a gay movie soon, because they still haven't, even though they've come closest probably by having characters that are gay in their movies. But you can see what happened. Twitter, you know, hash, uh, hashtag of boycott Hallmark goes goes viral, as the kids say. Uh, and then about two days after all of this, uh, Hallmark announces they are reinstating the ad. And what does that mean? Does it mean Hallmark listen to reason does it mean they listen to their fans or does it mean my theory they basically looked at the landscape and said okay uh how much what really are we losing we have to pick a side right uh we either keep not airing the ad and piss off the liberal base or we air the ad knowing we are going to lose some of those very very deeply conservative viewers so I think it was probably a very calculated business decision on their part. And again, they are a business. This is what businesses do. And they said, okay, we're airing that. So who knows what that means? My theory, I'll make some grand predictions, is that uh, you will see some other network perhaps up swing harder the other way, where it's very, very where they actually come out and say we're a Christian movie, which these movies usually don't do, right? You'll might have a character go to church but like there's never anything about jesus so my theory is you're going to have a network or two who are going to push really hard on like the kirk cameron-esque you know saving christmas that thing you are going to have finally i think netflix freeform who knows maybe lifetime will go ahead and say yes for 2020 here's our slate of christmas movies and they include a movie about a lesbian couple and a movie about a gay couple i probably lesbian couple because they they're going to probably look at it as they want movies about women so i think that will happen on some of the other networks i don't think hallmark is there yet but i think hallmark will kind of the way they did quote-unquote jewish movies this year that weren't really jewish at all that they are going to you know have a do the beauty and the beast thing where it's like le foo is gay where you're the sassy sidekick is going to be gay and have a partner but i still would be shocked if hallmark features a story about a same-sex romance i could be proven wrong it'd be wonderful if i did we'll see what happens a few days ago i kind of announced like well i'm not gonna watch hallmark for next year and there's plenty of other networks that are making just as terrible movies that i can talk about uh but we'll see what the year brings uh that is are mostly my thoughts on hallmark again for all i know uh in you know, it is December 17th when I'm recording this. Uh, you will get it probably the day after Christmas. 
and I feel so candid and kind of wrong admitting all of that, but guys, I, you know, have stuff to do for Christmas and I can't, you know, necessarily time this out well. But point being, a lot can happen in the news. I don't know if you're really curious about my thoughts. I'll be, I'm sure, talking about it in the Facebook group and on Twitter, Deadly Dolls, and the Facebook group of The Feminine Critique. That's that. Moving on to other matters. Let's dive into today's movie, Sweet Mountain Christmas. Now, this was one that it is a 2019 Lifetime, so it's the second 2019 Lifetime movie we did. And oh, oh guys, I just realized what I did. I did a the if you remember the season premiere was always in forever christmas which was a lifetime new movie and now we are bookending it with their other i mean <laughs> their other they did 30 new movies this year and i'm not exaggerating they actually made 30 movies uh this was one of them this one i think was their first release for christmas aired october 25th as you heard from the trailer uh why did i pick this one to close on a few reasons uh, one, I blatantly decided I did not want to do another Hallmark movie, as I just explained. Um, I thought there's one on Freeform that I felt like I should watch, but I think it was about teenagers, so I didn't want to watch teenagers, no offense. And I, th- I looked at, you know, what I had available to me and thought, okay, well, this is Lifetime. Didn't do that many Lifetime this year. It stars Megan Hilty, who I'm a big fan of, back from the days of Smash, the greatest, most terrible show ever. And it was set in Tennessee. And as we, you heard on the episode I did with my husband, who, by the way, is still married to me, even though we put each other through Christmas at Dollywood, we still are managing to make it work. Deep down, neither one of us will ever forgive the other for doing that to each other. But I think, you know, our foundation is strong enough to get through it. So I needed a palate cleanser. And I thought, okay, here is a Christmas movie starring Megan Hilty, which means she's probably going to sing. And I really like hearing Megan Hilty sing. So let me give it a chance and go for it. And somewhat pleasant surprise. It was pretty much what I was expecting. It was as typical a lifetime Cozy Cardigan Christmas as you would expect. Uh, But, you know, again, I think Megan Hilty is charming enough that I would watch her. And guess what? She does sing a few times. So for that, it's important. Uh, The other weird thing is that somehow this movie uh, includes several Dolly Parton songs, Dolly Parton Christmas songs. If you recall, Christmas at Dollywood had one. This one has at least two or three, I believe. So I just figured here's a nice way to kind of clean out the, uh, you know, that kind of you know when like you throw up and it's gross and like you do everything you can but you still feel like something's in your throat that's kind of how I felt like with Christmas at Dollywood which again is the tragedy of the season so anyway uh what is this movie about what do you think it's about uh in this case Megan Hilty is a country movie music star named Lainey Blue and Lainey Blue has had a successful career because 10 years ago she won something called American Superstar, and which I'm guessing is American Idol in Lifetime World. And she became a big, big, big star. But as what happens with many a young performer, her career has gotten a little stale. So her manager and her team is trying to rebrand her as sort of a pop princess. Like, remember when Jewel tried to do that in the late 90s and it was really weird? So that's the plan. Uh, Lainey was hoping to go home to Tennessee to see her mom for, th- for Christmas, but now she has to come back to New York very quickly for her big Christmas Eve show. Uh, what do you know when she goes home, big snowstorm comes into town and traps her in this 
in Baxter Falls or Baxter Land, Baxter something, Baxter Mountain. All right, Baxter Mountain, which is described as a one road in, one road out town. So she's stuck there. Uh, naturally, her ex-boyfriend, high school sweetheart, is the town sheriff and mayor and like snowplow guy. We also find out later he's a failed architect or retired architect. I'll get into that. It's the best part of the movie. So she also, his sister was her best friend and they used to sing together. But then when she left town, they stopped talking. So there's minor drama there that's resolved very quickly. Um, but the, the big drama is that the town theater, which her father used to own. Guys, guess what? Her father's dead. Uh, that is being closed. And ex-boyfriend town mayor and president is trying to save it by doing like a benefit for Christmas but of course now that the weather is bad it means that nobody can even get into town to spend money and help save the theater so she decides oh I'm gonna I'm gonna help you I'm gonna gather up people I'm gonna get performers we're gonna make this happen but I can't perform because I have to go back to New York for Christmas Eve because I'm supposed to rebrand myself as a pop star as you might expect uh, the road's finally clear on Christmas Eve when she can fly back to New York. But, but I say, her, she has a change of heart and decides her heart belongs at home. So she is going to scrap her rebranding and perform at the theater. First, she buys the theater. So there's actually no reason for her to perform, but I guess it's a nice gesture. She performs. Uh, of course, somebody is streaming her performance and it goes viral because uh, they just always say that in these movies. It's adorable. And when it does, uh, there's all these comments that clearly say like, oh, Lainey Blue, you're so genuine and authentic. So she's like, I don't even have to rebrand. I can still be country. And I'm going to move here. And I can fly to LA when I need to. But now I'm back in Tennessee. The end. That is the movie. It is everything you would expect. So with that, let's just dive right in. It's our last chance of 2019 to hit the tropes. Number one, our lead in need of lesson. Uh, as I said, it is Megan Hilty, who is also a producer on this movie. And if you don't know Megan Hilty, you should. You can know her from a few places. There is Smash, which I mentioned, which there are no real words for what Smash is. It was a two-season show on NBC about... Uh, the mounting of a Broadway show on the life of Marilyn Monroe and it was the weirdest it just made all these very strange choices it had some really bona fide Broadway people and had original music which was cool but the problem was Megan Hilty was so good and she was supposed to be the character that wasn't that good and Catherine McPhee a former American superstar if you will or runner-up to American Superstar, which I know is American Idol, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, Catherine McPhee is very dead-eyed and not very interesting on camera, or at least on that show. And so there was this constant issue of, I want to root for Megan Hilty, but the show's telling me not to. That was the least of the show's problem, in truth. Uh, she also has been in a couple of other Lifetime-esque movies. And one thing I'm going to throw out again, I know we said it on the Christmas at Dollywood episode, but I really can't say enough. She's in, there is Lifetime Made, a Patsy and Loretta movie called Patsy and Loretta, about Patsy Klein and Loretta Lynn and their friendship, and it is wonderful, and you should all watch it. Anyway, Lainey, does she need to learn a lesson? I, I mean, I, I feel like this is one of those movies that tries to say, oh, she forgot what it meant to be, you know, a country girl and to care about people, but it's really not the case. Like, she's nice in the beginning. She's just kind of exhausted because she has to rebrand her career and doesn't really want to. I suppose the lesson is that, you know, be yourself, except 
you know, that's easier said than done. So again, this is a case of a movie trying to tell us a character is living her life wrong when she's really not. Anyway, number two, our setting. Uh, the Of course, we have the charming small town, Baxter Mountain, uh, which is actually described as a beautiful snow globe of a town. Is it? Well, I mean, we see a Christmas tree lot, and we see a diner, and we see the empty theater. That's about what we get. Uh, aside from my favorite thing in the world in this movie, and I will put a picture of it up on Facebook because I think I took a screenshot with my phone. There is a scene when Lainey Blue lands on her private plane in Baxter Mountain and she's at the airport. Or I guess it's like Na- Nashville and she's at the airport. <laughs> Knoxville. I think it's Knoxville. Knoxville Airport. Anyway, she lands at the airport and they do the greatest green screen view of a plane in front of, you know, what are supposed to be the Smoky Mountains. And I look at it and I pause it and I had to have my husband come in and look at it. And he said, it looks like somebody ripped out a calendar page from a like scenic calendar and then superimposed her in front of it. So that's great. But the town, I don't know, it's supposed to be charming. There's really not much to it. Number three is the bland love interest. And oh boy. So this actor is somebody I have seen before. Um, what's really funny is in the credits, he is credited as Mayor Robbie Buckley. Uh, the actor is Marcus Rosner. He is very tall. He is very handsome. So much so that at one point, another character, the character is Lainey's manager, who shows up in Baxter Mountain, and when he meets Robbie, he just says twice, he's like, wow, you're very handsome. You are very handsome. And it is very funny, because yes, this man is the kind of man that if you looked at in real life, you'd kind of like, because you, it's not even that he's hot, like, because he's just too handsome. And... Like, it would be one of those, like, you just look at him and say, like, you don't look like a human being. And the great thing about him is, aside from the fact that he is the town mayor and a policeman and in charge of, you know, uh, whatever you call it, community uh, preservation. So I mentioned earlier, he was an architect because, yes, even Robbie left Baxter Mountain at one point uh, after, I guess, he left for after college or during college he went to boston where he was working for an architecture firm and he was going to become partner in this architecture firm he was engaged to another architect life was going well and every day they used to have lunch together this is actual dialogue from the movie and it is the greatest backstory i think we've had yet uh they used to have lunch together in a park and then one day they noticed park was being blocked like the sun was blocking the power a building was blocking the view the beautiful view they had in the park and Robbie realized what was blocking it was a building that he designed that had been built and that was the day he said I can't do this I can't be in charge of building condos and, and office buildings and destroying the rest of the world so he left architecture to come back home and be a mayor and I this the way he delivers this anecdote is with such sincerity and logic as if of course this is what you would do and I paused it and I did one of those started laughing and you know when you start laughing 
and you keep thinking about what you're laughing at and the more you think about it the more absurd it becomes it was one of those where it went on for about two minutes and I definitely had tears in my eyes because I was just imagining the drama this man felt uh, as an actor to have to channel the shame of having been an architect responsible for blocking the view of a park. So that is her, her uh, romantic lead. It's really a shame that he doesn't have a kid because it feels like he fits, checks every box. Why not also make him a widower? Number four is the montage. And uh, guys, this is one of those shames because I like to always end on a movie that gives me everything. And this one doesn't give me a montage. There is a scene where Lainey has to babysit two awful children and at first it's not going well but then she has a plan which is like make them make noise like as if they're making music so she gives one a a cookie cutter and says just bang on the cutting board and the other one she gives i think like tongs and she's like just shake them back and forth and you're like oh okay cool we're gonna have a babysitting montage no the camera just cuts away and i found that very cruel number five is dead parents and yeah we got a dead parent we've got a dead dad and dead dad which i feel like we've had more dead dads this year than we did dead moms i should do a tally but it's probably too late so the dead dad is her dead dad and dead dad is important because he worked really hard and that made her work really hard and because he's dead it made her very sad so that's why she doesn't like to come home very often and then thrown in the background there's a character who is supposed to be a fiddler but i don't think we ever really get to see him fiddle and he has lost his Christmas spirit because he has a dead wife. Um, but the town rallies around him and decorates his house, which he calls trespassing, and he's not wrong. But somehow that cheers him up and he forgets about his dead wife. Number six is our sassy sidekick. And we, you know, we, we get a tease of one because in the very opening scene, Lainey has an assistant or like a costume girl, I guess, named Beth, who is black and who has very big earrings and who kind of seems to give her like some good um like back and forth and you're like oh good sassy sidekick and then they have one more phone call later in the movie and that's it um but she does have a great line which i feel like again is actually kind of meta uh because laney is talking about going home and visiting her family and beth says well when i go home i spend time with my old boyfriends then i remember why i left which is really what all of these movies should be about but of course in most cases they decide to stay uh, the other sassy sidekick who's not sassy at all is Lori, who Robbie's sister and Lainey's old best friend. And Lainey and Lori used to perform together. So there's like a little bit of, oh, we were friends and now we're not. And Lori, you should perform again, but Lori's too nervous and is kind of a drag, quite frankly. But anyway. Uh, and I suppose you could also kind of count Lainey's manager a little bit as a sassy sidekick because he does kind of throw in he's there for a little bit of comic relief but then he ultimately does support her so that's i don't know friendship number seven evil woman or boss character this one does a weird thing where you they introduce another townie who was an old rival of laney's named jadine and for a while you think like ooh, janine's gonna cause trouble but very quickly janine says to laney she's like oh you're cooler than i thought all right fine we're friends now and that's it a little bit of a letdown uh, number eight, slapstick. Yeah, so what we get is, uh, I mean, not great slapstick. At one point, Megan Hilty is on the phone with her manager because the whole thing is he has orchestrated a sort of PR coup so that on Instagram and everything, it looks like she's vacationing in the Bahamas because that's better for her brand or her new brand. 
Uh, so he's saying to her, like, make sure you're not, like, keep a low profile, don't do anything that's going to get you tagged on, on Instagram. And, of course, as she's like, yeah, totally, I will, she walks into a diner and knocks over a Christmas tree, and then everybody looks at her, and that's a thing. Except it's not, because constantly people in the movie are taking pictures with her, and you would think they are posting those and being like, you know, hashtag Lanny Blue, home in Baxter Mountain. And that would tell somebody out there, whoever the equivalent of Perez Hilton is nowadays, if that's still a thing, I don't know, uh, would say, like, wait a minute, how could she be, she be in Tennessee and the Bahamas? But no, nothing happens there. Same with there's a reporter who's supposed to be, like, you know, kind of hard on her. And, like, at one point she has a phone interview with the reporter, and the reporter is like, oh, so how's the weather in the Bahamas? And you're thinking, oh, that must mean there was a storm, and Lainey, like, has no idea. But nope, that just doesn't go anywhere. So not not a particularly great well-threaded film um forgot to mention who is behind it uh, it's directed by david weaver who's done a whole lot of these movies there are two writers brian sawyer and gary greg rawson both names wow you know when you like open up an imdb and you just kind of flinch because there are so many credits um so do they write together brian Susser and greg they, they are a team and they are responsible for such movies. Oh, my God. The, Jeez. Okay, they wrote both Christmas at Graceland, which we talked about last year, and Wedding at Graceland, which is not even the same network. It's sort of when, like, they do the, like, it's like there's a Mockbusters version of Hallmark. And these guys, I guess, write for both of them. They also did Christmas in Rome, Rocky Mountain Christmas, Tiny Christmas, Christmas Connection, a lot of movies that have the word Christmas in them. Very few of which, to my knowledge, are very good. Uh, but hey, man, whatever pays the bills, right? Actually, they wrote North Pole, which is surprisingly okay for this kind of thing. Anyway, uh, that was Slapstick number nine, is our sage old person. And yeah, so Lainey's mom is one of those very supportive moms who we had a lot of this year. And she, you know, is constantly trying to tell her daughter she works too hard and everything she's also something that's kind of refreshing we had two movies this year where we had a cock blocking mom where we had a mom who at one point her daughter is like on the stoop with a hot guy about to kiss and the mom just opens the door and is like oh you're still here i totally didn't know that even though i just looked through the door at you about to kiss my daughter but in this case she's like the opposite of cock blocking she is cock pushing if that's a word she's just constantly like oh how's robbie oh why don't you go over robbie's house so a little, a little pushy but i get it like she's thinking this man will give me handsome grandkids and tennis santa claus and sadly we get nothing nothing guys nothing on to the bonus round because we still have a lot of ground to cover uh public domain holiday songs yeah of course there's a lot of them but again the flip of that is we get a lot of dolly we get uh christmas state of mind smoky mountain christmas um later we also get a couple of songs that again megan hilty sings so there's a cute very sweet duet of her and her friend singing noel which is pretty at one point we get megan hilty singing silent night acapella the bitch can sing it's pleasant moving on cloying child Ugh, yeah so her friend Lori has two kids a little girl is probably about 10 and a younger boy and the first time you meet them like they're okay and i'm like oh all right these are fine like another case of kids that aren't terrible and then the next scene they are just assholes like 
blatant assholes. Lainey's, you know, trying to keep them busy while babysitting, so she makes popcorn. She's like, okay, we're going to decorate the tree with popcorn. And the kids just pick up the popcorn and start throwing it at each other and at Lainey, which I'm sorry. If you were 10 years old, you do not do that. You are a monster if you do that. Uh, next is ice skating. No Canadianisms. No. I wonder if this was filmed in Tennessee. I mean, I knew it wasn't filmed in Tennessee. It was filmed in Canada. Uh, and I think if you listen a little closer, you will hear Canadian accents. Um, character with a Christmas name? Shockingly, no. Christmas tree lighting? No, but we do get tree shopping, where of course it's like, you don't know anything about Christmas trees, city girl, because that's a thing. Karaoke? There is essentially forced performing, which I think is very... Um, intrusive, invasive, abusive, where Lainey goes out to a bar and she's like, hey, I just want to hang out with my friends. And they force her on stage to sing. And in fairness, she then forces her friend to come on stage with her and sing. And I think that's a lot of, um, what's the word for it? It, it is abusive in a sense. Uh, inability to act with an empty coffee cup. You know, they're okay here. Lainey is at one point handed a mug, or not a mug, but a like travel thermos and told what it is, and she holds it from the bottom. Um, there are a couple of scenes where characters are like eating and drinking, and they're actually doing it. Like Lainey and Lori drink wine. It is like wine colored. It is not fruit juice. And they actually like drink and swallow things. And at one point, Lainey shares ice cream with Robbie, and they you know, the camera isn't cutting every time the ice cream spoon hits their lips. Like, they actually put it in their mouths and swallow. Maybe they vomited right after. I don't know. But on camera, we didn't see it. So, hey, that's something. Um, no going to bed at 3 o'clock and no sprinkle sound effects. I think there were, but I didn't catch them. Uh, and then red and green, less so than other movies. I think part of it, I, I wonder too, again, Megan Hilty was a producer on this. And I think Megan Hilty is aware that she looks good in blue. She has blue eyes. Uh, she has, you know, kind of paler, like a lighter complexion. And often in this movie, she's dressed in blue, whereas in a normal Christmas movie, that heroine would be wearing red or green. So it made me wonder if she was just kind of a little more... I'm really... I have no idea if this is how Megan Hilty feels about herself, but I feel like she's smart enough to know, I look good in blue. And I'm a producer, so I'm going to say what outfit I wear in this scene. Uh, in terms of Amazon reviews, I am going to give one, which is actually it's on it is Amazon. Yes, uh, there's not too many because it's a fairly new movie. But an unnamed Kindle customer gave it five out of five stars and said, "I enjoyed this movie, and I felt Christmas feeling." And isn't that what stocking stuffers are all about? Right? We don't necessarily look for quality or to learn anything or to be challenged. They are simply there to ease our minds during a busy time of year. On that front, I think um, this one's fine. It's it's not one of the crossover movies where you're like, this is a real movie. Like, no, 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 it's not. It's, it's a Christmas movie. It's, it's a Cozy Cardigan Christmas movie that isn't particularly good. Um, but it has enough elements to it that it is pretty to look at. Uh, Megan Hilty's like I think genuinely interesting to watch and is just a more personable and um, what's the word 
I don't feel like I am watching a cardboard cutout race through things. I feel like I am watching her find things in a performance, and that's not easy to do in these. And she sings a lot. So you could do worse than this movie. That was A Sweet Mountain Christmas. But now, before I leave you for a year, or not a year, but like for like two weeks before Christina and I come back and talk about things that are not at all Cozy Cardigan Christmas related, let's uh, look back on the season. And the way we're going to do this is we are going to go through the 10 tropes. Um, I have looked at what they were and what my best and worst were for those tropes. And then I'm going to do a quick rank of the movies I watched. So when we do the tropes, we start with our lead in need of a lesson and our best and our worst. I'm going to go our best. Um, This was a very tight race. But I really feel like Hillary Burton elevated Naughty or Nice into a movie that ended. And I'm like that was good like that was a movie and then I look back I'm like it really wasn't it really didn't do anything different than most of these movies but Hillary Burton was so good in it and was so funny and so personable that I actually enjoyed watching her in this movie and as a result enjoyed the movie a very close second I give an honorable mention to Claire Coffey in Holly's Holiday because I think she she managed to be very craft a surprisingly smart little performance that was better than you realize it took time to, to see how uh, how funny she was and how she was giving a performance that got funnier as everything around her got more weird um, so credit to both of those ladies good job the worst performance of the year I'm I, I as I said this was my first Danica McKellar Christmas movie which of course is Christmas at Dollywood sadly that movie will come up a few times uh and I know Danica McKellar is like one of the most popular Hallmark actors I have no fucking idea why because she was she was a a I don't think she existed in this movie uh number two is our setting my favorite setting on one hand it's Dollywood because it's Dollywood but the other hand, when you set your movie in Dollywood and don't actually use Dollywood, it also puts you on the worst list. But the best setting, I'm going to say Aldovia from Christmas Prince 3 Royal Baby. Uh, again, they have a great castle in Romania, I think, that they film in. It looks beautiful. It looks great on film. They know how to film it now. And I think they got a lot, a lot out of it. And then the real worst aside from... Uh, Dollywood uh, holiday road trip because it was just ugly like it didn't really have a setting when half of your film is set in the front seat of a RV Uh, next is our bland love interest and this again is a close tie but maybe a surprise I'm gonna say my pick for this is another case where I feel like the actor made the movie um, slightly more enjoyable than it probably should have been and that was, I think it was Josh Whiteford, if that's his name. Josh Whiteford from, yeah, Josh Whitehouse. Same thing. Whiteford, Whitehouse, you know. Josh Whitehouse from the night before the night, the knight before Christmas. Um, you know, he was the one that was basically like a light Robert Pattinson. And the thing was, he was really charming in that movie. And... That movie wasn't very good, but he, I think, made it cute and made it at least, he he brought a spark to it. A close second to him, of course, was uh, Bo from Holly's Holiday. Again, in a way, he's not really the love interest, right? But that actor was so funny. The character was so funny, and I have to give credit to that. 
the worst love interest, what do you know, we're back at Christmas at Dollywood because Luke was nothing, gave nothing. The more I think about it, the more I realize I think the actor just hated the movie and understood, and he does a lot of them. And I think even he was like, we're in Dollywood, and this is what I get to act. And that must have been disappointing, but it's not justified. Uh, and, and in a weird way, I'm going to also be fair and say that Jeff Ward in Holly's Holiday, not so much from an actor point of view, but as a character, was kind of unsettling. Because he basically did that sort of, I'm such a nice guy, why don't you love me? And that's really hasn't aged well in 2019. Montage, uh, the best montage... Uh, I'm going to say Christmas movie Christmas for acknowledging the power of the montage. We're being very meta about it and saying, wow, we got things so quickly, done so quickly by montage. Um, And I'm also, I'll give a kind of uh, honorary mention to Royal Baby for finally having montages. There really, there's no such thing as a bad montage, so I'm not going to do a worst. It's really just all the movies that didn't have one. Fuck you. Dead Parents. This was a great year for Dead Parents, but if we're going by quantity... Uh, night before Christmas, everybody has a dead parent. Like, dead parents have dead parents, and that, that was something. Uh, and again, um, in a different a different award would go to Miss Me This Christmas, because we have a character relaying, a character giving sage advice with a dead parent by proxy, which I just think is kind of interesting. And the worst dead parents... You know, Christmas movie Christmas, if you're so knowledgeable about the Cozy Cardigan Christmas movies and you know all the tricks, where the fuck were the dead parents? That's all I'm saying. Sassy Sidekicks, uh, we had a lot of them. And it's hard to, so it's tough to really pick one. I mean, Uggy is Uggy. And he is in Holiday Road Trip and it is sad and unpleasant and I want to give Uggy everything, but I didn't want him in this movie, so scratch that. Um... Naughty or Nice had like a nice actual friend. Like she ma- she makes a friend and they're funny together and they have a good rapport and that was kind of cute. Uh, Holly Star has our sort of Melissa McCarthy-esque character KK who Christine hated and I loved. What does that say about us? You tell me. But I'm going to give it, you know, hey, years ago when I watched season three of America's Next Top Model, if you had told me back in my college days that one day, Emily, you're going to be a grown up. And one of the ways you're going to entertain yourself is to record podcasts about Hallmark and Hallmark-adjacent Christmas movies. And you just might see one where Eva Pigford, nay, Eva Marcel, from season three of America's Next Top Model, plays the sassy sidekick. And you might be pleased by that. So for that, I give her the win. And the worst sassy sidekick, again sorry Christmas at Dollywood I know it's cheap to just keep using you but I mean it you had two options for sassy sidekicks they were both terrible and they didn't even have fucking southern accents even though your movie was set in Pigeon Forge Tennessee evil women again not the reverse of sassy sidekicks we didn't have that many this year which is a good and bad thing I don't want to pit women against each other but sometimes it's really fun to have ridiculous female villains in these um so I'm gonna say that my favorite was to go back to Naughty or Nice Michelle Hurd plays a very you know tough as nails boss at a marketing firm and she just looks great and she plays it well she kind of like does that like angry whisper with her performance and of course she's not really evil but I I will give it to her because I liked watching her and my worst evil woman um, 
You know, the night before Christmas just did a weird thing where they sort of like throw a character out to be a conflict, but she's not. And as a result, all they kind of do is sort of make like slut shamey jokes, which I just didn't appreciate, so we'll say that. Slapstick, by far and away, the best slapstick on display of the 13 movies I covered has to be Holly's Holiday, where, again, um, the director understood how to lay that out, the actors understood how to sell it, and there are at least two moments of, you know, a Christmas tree falling on a woman and another a character just pushing women out of the way, where they're just perfect, they're a lesson in comic timing for slapstick. And the worst, um, Night Before Christmas had a lot of, Vanessa Hudgens is so clumsy, and it, she's not, like, she's not good at selling that, so don't make her try. Sage Old Person, um, you know, again, there's a, a tight race. I really liked Meredith Baxter and Michael Gross and Naughty or Nice because they had a great chemistry together and managed to be like this really great, sweet parents who did have good advice. But I also am going to use this as a one place to throw a bone to Christmas at Dollywood because Dolly fucking Parton is a sage old person. Now, granted, she is not in the movie enough. They make us wait 90 minutes or 100 minutes or 100, one hour. I don't know. One hour is not equal 100 minutes. I realize that, but it's been a long season. They don't give us enough of her, but when they do, it is the only thing worth watching that movie for. And the worst sage old people, uh, I'll go to the old crone. Again, this is weird. Like I went from Night Before Christmas being positive to three in a row of it having the bottom but the old crone didn't make any sense because a she wasn't that old b she didn't really seem like a crone and c her decision making in terms of like oh hey knight i'm gonna send you back to the i'm gonna send you to the future why you there are other people that really probably belong in the future more than he does but whatever and uh, you know he's not really treated as a sage old person but if i can say anything that um reminds somebody listening to the powers that be at netflix that the actor who plays rudy in the royal in the christmas prince series is insufferable and he should be recast santa claus not the biggest year for santa we had quite a few movies without one but there were two that did fit the bill um the runner-up is once again naughty or nice where Santa Claus was just kind of cool because he's, he doesn't really do anything, but he shows up in this great moment where the character is like, oh, you you did all of this for me. And he's like, no, I didn't. You just happened to be in the way and I let things happen, but I'm Santa Claus. I have bigger things to do. Let me, let me do my job. Because so often in these movies, Santa Claus drops everything for the happiness of one person. Much like my actual winner for Santa Claus, which is not Santa Claus, but is Mrs. Claus, who we had in Always and Forever Christmas. For some reason, Mrs. Claus took, you know, the Christmas season off in order to help this one woman who inherited a Christmas store in Vermont decide to not sell the Christmas store in Vermont. And she pulled out all the stops. She made magical hot chocolate and magical cookies and magical dresses and that was how she spent her December. It was kind of weird, but I kind of dig the gender switch. I don't know. It was something. And then the worst Santa Claus, you know, I don't, I've said it before. Stop casting Chad Michael Murray in these. He's not, he, you know what Chad Michael Murray feels like? Um, ladies know this and maybe some men have the same feeling, but I feel like it's something that a lot of women go through and a lot of young women go through. When you have a crush on it, when your friend, and I'm not saying this as like, it's my friend, not me, because it really is. Ever have the friend who has a crush on a guy who just doesn't care, 
and she finds that really attractive and you're just looking at her like but you can do you can find a guy that actually likes you that actually talks to you i feel like chad michael murray is the guy that she has the crush on he's handsome he's, he's tall sure but he has no spark he doesn't seem nice he doesn't seem interesting and yet he keeps getting cast as the lead in these and he is in whatever movie it was right before christmas he plays santa claus a couple of times and like even then he just seems like a miserable santa claus i i just don't get it so that was the best and worst but now let's do the ranking of the films coming in 13th place i know guys i know if you had told me at the start of stocking stuffers that christmas at dollywood co-starring dolly parton and filmed in part at dollywood would be the worst christmas movie i watched this year yeah i i don't know what i've done stocking stuffers would i have had my husband watch that one i i can't say but it was such a disappointment and again there's two ways these movies can be bad in a way they're all bad we know that but there's two ways they can be like bad unenjoyable they can be offensive um and they can be boring and i can't remember the last time i watched a movie that was more boring than christmas at dollywood it is a shame I am angry. I will not blame Dolly for it, but I will blame the Hallmark and Danica McKellar, who was a producer on it, let me know. And apparently the state of Tennessee, who purged their southern accents for this movie. Um, Above it, shockingly, again, if you had told me that a movie directed by Fred Olin Ray, starring Patrick Muldoon and Wink Martindale, would be better than Christmas at Dollywood, I, I, I would have lost a lot of money if I was a betting woman. But Holiday Road Trip was not good was the other the flip of that where it was just ugly and unpleasant and felt very long for not being a long movie but it's not good you shouldn't watch it but i if you have to pick between christmas and dollywood or that maybe watch that one number 11 uh i bring up again just mentioned right before christmas uh 2019 hallmark it's it's not the worst Hallmark movie. I mean, again, it's not Christmas at Dollywood. Uh, it is a little ambitious with its storytelling. This is the sort of love actually wannabe movie. But the problem is it's just boring. And the further I got away from it, the more it just evaporated from my mind. Every time I tried to think about it, it was like, who was, what was the story? She, she sent five letters. Who'd she send them to? It was like at first I could get four, and then I could get three, and now I don't even know what a letter is. Number uh, 11 on that list, um, it wasn't, eh, you know, number 11, to go back to the Patrick Muldoon well, I'm going to say A Boyfriend for Christmas from 2004. If you remember, we went way back for that one, and it's, it's not terrible. It's interesting in the way of seeing how early the tropes were established and how little they changed. But as a whole, it just didn't, it, it had a weird rhythm. It didn't, it didn't have the formula yet. So it didn't fully have the beats that it knew when to hit and how to hit them. So thankfully it had Martin Mull, which helped a lot. Uh, after that, I will go back to Lifetime and say Always and Forever Christmas, sort of right in the middle of the pack. It was not good. Um, I think the lead was very stiff. I think she's very pretty, but I found her very lacking. But I do appreciate that, it, and it, this shocked me, this was the movie that ended with our lead saying, um, yay, I've saved Christmas, now I'm going to go back to my job in 
California and do my job and I'll see you guys next Christmas. And the guy that she meets and falls in love with goes with her and leaves his small town diner behind. And that is just refreshing because we don't see that. And we did see it this year. So it gave me so much false hope about what the season was going to be. Next, number nine. Uh, Christine might disagree, but I'm going to say Holly Star. This was weird, as you guys heard. It did not actually... It is a Cozy Cardigan Christmas movie. It fits so many of the tropes, but it wasn't made for any of the networks. And that helps and hurts it. I think it does make it a little more interesting. But then the weird thing is, it doesn't break from it. It follows all of those things. So why even do it, in a sense? Uh, Number eight, I'll give credit to Ups, A Christmas Movie Christmas, for, you know kind of saying hey we're gonna do something different we're gonna be meta about this and we're gonna make a movie about Christmas movies and occasionally it hit the mark but most of the time it just didn't really have enough teeth to do much with it moving on number seven uh you know I can't do math at all Number seven, number five. You guys know I, I don't count well. This is why we don't know what our episode count really is. Uh, whatever you heard, like just I'm just going the order, right? The order. Apparently, number five is just it's just kind of depressing when I realize that the night before Christmas is number five because it's not very good. It shouldn't be number five, but the fashion's good. Vanessa Hudgens dresses really well in the movie. And um, Josh Whitehouse is pretty charming. And God, guys, that made it the fifth best Christmas movie I watched. That doesn't count Silent Night, Deadly Night 5 or A Muppet's Christmas Carol. So, you know, again, just don't think of this as an official list. So number four, again, shocking that this reached the heights of number four, but it tells you just where my state of mind was after Christmas at Dollywood. Number four is A Sweet Mountain Christmas not very good it's really here because of the Megan Hilty and music and occasional Dolly Parton song connection but it actually managed to squeeze in at number four which in American national figure skating is a pewter medal uh bronze medal now now we're up to the three that I would say like these three pleased me um royal baby a Christmas prince this is the third entry in Netflix's a Christmas prince I think this, you know, as much as a Christmas movie Christmas is self-aware, the Christmas Prince series is as well. I think they have some very good tools now that they know that they have Alice Krieg and they know that um, the young actress who plays Emily is like, I think they realize like, ooh, we want to keep our cast. We have this beautiful setting. Um, They managed to have fun with it and they managed to do something new. They brought in new characters the king and queen of the other fake country were wonderful and it was refreshing to have new faces um new races in a movie that is typically very white um i I don't think it pushed far enough and i feel like now it it got to be such a bigger cast that we lost some of what we could have had we didn't get enough of the queen we didn't get enough of the princess but we had what turned into an enjoyable movie and again i want that costume designer to like work for me and design my wardrobe because everybody looked fantastic and now we're up to the two that I really did enjoy as movies go number two in second place our silver medalist Hillary Burton 2012 Naughty or Nice it's just a Hallmark movie and yet and yet I say it's a Hallmark movie made um just with a little bit more spark and I think a lot of it rests on her shoulders, and I think she carries it really well. But I think 
the interplay of cast and I think the script being slightly more interesting it isn't about her finding love it's about her kind of taking control of things and then learning when to let go of things and that in itself makes it a little more interesting this one it's it airs on Hallmark I don't think it streams anywhere but if you come across it and if you want a traditional Hallmark movie but one that's good this is the one to go to this is going to be the one that I'm always going to shout when people say like what is the best of the terrible Hallmark movies I'll say this one and then number one Again, I would not have believed the Mannequin movie would have been number one. But as you heard, this was the episode I did with Jason. Holly's Holiday, or A Perfect Christmas, which is streaming on Hulu, is a delight. It is funny. It is weird. It is sharp. It is not perfect. But it is just a fun, weird time. And if you're looking for something different that's still, again falls into this genre if you're looking for something different then you know you pull up um you know uh christmas evil like that's the christmas movie to go to if you really want something good but if you want a christmas movie that is in the cozy cardigan canon give holly's holiday a chance i implore you all that's it that's a wrap uh no candace cameron this season (laughs) so good uh as always i thank everyone huge thanks to my guest stars all of whom were fabulous um you know i don't want to pick favorites but i am married to one of them so and he had to watch the worst movie but all of you were a delight a joy i am so thankful that you guys took the time to guest on the show to the listeners as always i know some of you skip these episodes and that's fine i i believe me i'm not offended i know these are not for everyone but for those of you who do give a listen know that it warms my little tiny grinch heart that somebody cares to hear me talk about these movies that i still have a complicated relationship with uh but you've all been great as always i encourage you to please continue to participate on the facebook group and on Twitter because it helps me know that I'm not talking in a vacuum because that would be a scary scary place to be uh and with that I do wish everybody a happy warm fuzzy slightly stress-free to whatever extent it can be holiday season whether that goes all the way through January or whether that ended you know the day Yule ended whenever that ends I don't really know whatever it might be all of the fields, all of the love, all of the warmth, peace on earth, blah, blah, blah. I'll find some Pee Wee song and play it now. Christmas in love.